Hello, everybody, and welcome to Machine Learning, a pod about the machine from Pod Against the Machine, the only podcast with a supplementary podcast with a 25-word title. I am your host for this month, Juro, and with me are Izzy. Hello. And Zach. Howdy. And we have a fun one this month. This was the last two episodes of book one and the first two episodes of book two. So let's jump in right away with our recap, starting with episode 33, Millions of Vanillions. <laughs> we started off with a little uh, vignette of Connor Bain working on something or other in the foundry as he gets the feeling that something interesting could be going on underneath the torch. And sure enough, it is, because when the episode proper begins, the VC4 emerge from under the hill to discover that the torch is lit. And the entire town, just about, is waiting on the shores of uh, Stinky Lake to <laughs> greet them including a member of the town council that appears to have a relationship with Kira. So what did you two think of the whole, like, us emerging victorious from under the mountain? It was like a really well set up scene because we necessarily had to come out of the water with our backs to the torch. And I like to think canonically, because we're not taking swim checks, we're all just walking on the bottom of the water. Because mm -hmm. that way we just don't see the light behind us at all. So we're just seeing it reflecting in the eyes of the people of Torch. And that is just this really like visceral snapshot in my head of uh, oh, for sure. us succeeding. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, a little theater of the mind to imagine that we didn't see it for the entire awful underwater drag all the way up into that point. I thought it was great. And then mm -hmm. it was amazing to meet Kira's mom. I mean... I have so much love, I think, for Kira's mom. But I also, I just want to piggyback really quickly, Zach, on what you just said. When we start commissioning for the graphic novel series and eventually the movie, I think this scene <laughs> is going to be a big one. And I am so excited to see how we CGI that the reflection of the torch into the faces of the crowd. Like, I think it's just going to be stunning. Well, no, we hire uh, Christopher Nolan for it and he just... <laughs> build an actual torch oh yeah true practical effects yeah we can um use the old agro crag setup that they use uh on golden age <laughs> <Guts>. nick <laughs> like do we have thoughts on christopher nolan and jj abrams because i personally cannot get enough of the what lens flare thing and i think once we've lit yeah i think once we've lit the torch right it's just lit is not a word once we've lit the torch <laughs> i think it's lens flare all over yeah, no, the whole town is blinded. Oh. I was going to say, then I had a thought. I was like, is Litton a word? Because, like, Litany is a word. And I'm like, what, what, but that is the noun version. It is a Pokemon. Oh, <laughs> I knew that. Uh, yeah, it's the fire cat. Yep. You're welcome, listeners, for me knowing my knowledge. No problem. So, after the coming out of the water and being regaled by the town as their new heroes who uh, will forever be remembered and never again be given a discount we are whisked off to the foundry where we have a meeting with finally the entire town council who this is the first time that the vc4 have actually met the full council all together at once and there's connor bain there is kira's mom there is dolga Fredert. And there is a, another woman whose name I cannot remember, and I don't know if we got it. No, we did get we did get it, and I want to say we it's did get it. Baz Lerman, but I know uh, that's not right. Yeah. So that said, it's something like right. That. No, it's uh, adjacent. Um, yeah. She was kind of mysterious. She just kind of sat in the back and didn't do much. Uh, 
I think yeah. she was busy directing Moulin Rouge, actually, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we noticed some interesting stuff with Connor reacting to the name Gartone when we told the town council about what happened to Sandville. And then we dumped Mianda out of her bag and drugged her up and got her to tell us as much as we could about what's going on. She seems to believe that Helion is going to save the world. She did not say from what, and if from the way she talks, it honestly sounds like from himself with all the talk of how he's going to destroy everything if we don't help him. But... Uh, yeah, so what do you guys think of the meeting of finally being in a room with all of Torch's leaders and about the kind of stuff that Mianda said about what she's doing, the very little that she did give us? Yeah, I mean, I was frustrated. It's like we, we got exactly what we were going to get out of her in our first interrogation. While I appreciate that she's a religious zealot, like, who's probably android constitution also lends the fact that she's impervious to our techniques of interrogation mm -hmm. but yeah i mean it was it really wasn't very rewarding until we realized that this town has been functioning uh, without a jail which <laughs> means that it must be a sociological right. marvel and that town the torch itself is is truly mm -hmm. uh, utopia so um like any good adventurers we introduced a penal system <laughs> You're welcome, Torch. <laughs> and whacked her in a box in the basement. Yeah. <laughs> there you go, Torch. <laughs> this is how you do it. Restorative justice. Uh, no. Put it in a box. Yeah. So, also, it was good to see Kira's mom feel comfortable coming out as a veg veggie pygmy. Mm -hmm. I assume that whatever disguise she was wearing at the, the lakeside was... Right. I mean, I think emotionally, you know, it's one of those things you want to be able to share with your kids, adopted or not, as soon as you can. And I'm really glad that we were able to give the space uh, and the time to let Kira's mom emerge as her full self a Veggie Pygmy. Piggybacking on that, it was a really, really brief moment for me personally in the, in the, within the episode. Obviously, there's a lot going on. It was the end of the book. We were unsuccessfully trying to get more information from Mayanda, but it was a very satisfying like moment for me playing Kira sitting in this town council room with her mother being like, look, look, we did a thing. I, it's, I've, I've spoken about this before, but it's just really fun to kind of play this coming of age character and that she's learning all sorts of stuff. Mm -hmm. But that was like a, a fun little, like, look at us hanging out together, town counseling and introducing a penal system to this town that previously didn't have one. That's, <laughs> that's what families aspire to probably. That's a joke. I do not aspire to more penal systems, but that's like a whole other podcast. So, Mianda doesn't bother to tell us anything, not anything useful to anyone, and they, we end the episode with the VC4 deciding that the next logical step is to go to Scrapwall, and also with Kira inviting the rest of the group to her house for dinner later that day. <laughs> which isn't going to happen for another couple episodes, but it's interesting to get that invitation. And it's just one of those things that helps remind you that, like, there's other stuff going on besides just saving the world. Like, you know, there's still a rest of a world going on. You still occasionally can go over to someone's house for dinner. So I would guess that it's a pretty easy invite for... Brixby and Asher, but I am so curious as to what made Vargas be like, yes, I will go to this person's family home for dinner. <laughs> I like to think it's his sense of, like, honor and tradition, which I've mentioned before, like, the Kellid view of it is, like, very kind of, I don't want to say warped, but they have, like, a very much of, like, a warrior mindset, but they also have, like, a clan and a family mindset. So I can see him being asked to come eat dinner with somebody that he's fought beside. Like, he wouldn't want to dishonor them by refusing it. That does make sense. And I think also provides a little context to um, the conversation they all have right before they meet Kira's family, which is not in this uh, session, so I'll talk about next time. <laughs> yeah takes us then into episode 34 the clap doesn't matter which i love that title just off the bat 
This episode started with uh, something interesting, which was our little end of book one contest being announced with our first bit of official Potting and Some Machine merch, our stickers, which were given out in a contest. So that was a real exciting moment. Uh, before we talk about the episode proper, what do you two guys think on the fact that we got merch? <laughs> we're expanding. We're like a real little podcast now. And I personally <laughs> am excited to procure all the stickers and put them everywhere, including on the, you know, bodies of my friends who are like, what is this? I didn't know you had a podcast. And I'll be like, I don't care. Here's a unicorn sticker. <laughs> As one is wont to do. Yeah, I personally just can't wait for the hardworking folks at Legal to get over those hurdles that the FDA has put in front of us as, is this even edible? And what are you even doing here for us to get our GooTube product out? But, yeah. you know, yeah. wheels of bureaucracy will mm -hmm. soon be a Megacorp merch churning podcast. Listeners, one day, one day we're going to get through a whole episode and no one's going to mention any viscous oozes or, or goos or slimes. And that, that day will be a beautiful day. You and I together, <laughs> listeners, we look forward to that day and march bravely on in the face of this textural nightmare. And when that day comes, listeners, oh, I will tweet about it probably. And that's how we'll know. I think that happening is one of the signs of the uh, seals opening for the apocalypse is the day that we have an episode where we don't talk about Gogurt. Right. No, for sure. End of the world. Oh, yeah. I mean, and it won't happen because just like for audio editing, we maintain a separate Google Sheets spreadsheet about who's set to mention the thickwits in each app. I was not invited to this Google Sheets spreadsheet. Yeah. No. Uh, I mean, that wasn't unintentional after talking about the awesome contest getting into the episode proper we start by as zach mentioned we found out last episode that they don't have a jail so dolgas takes us to what they do have and shows us what appears to be a storage cabinet that we then just toss meanda unceremoniously into and then we have ourselves a little bit of a shopping trip. We don't make as big of a deal of it as we did with some of our previous ones. We just mentioned, hey, a couple of us bought some magic items. And then we move on from there. And Brixby looks through Sandville's leftover cart, doesn't find anything too useful. And then yeah. we decide, you know what? We're not going to end book one. Screw this. And we go back under the hill. Completionist to the core. <laughs> but it kind of worked. I mean, it really worked out, right? Like, A, I'm glad we did just because I love checking boxes. But B, if we hadn't gone back under the hill, we would never seen the mystery part two of the, what was it? A giant Gearspin, right? Is that the right episode? Mm -hmm. We meet him at the end of this episode, yeah. So after we head back under... We First, we find out that the stuff we thought we were going to get to explore was just dead ends. There's some insurmountable waist-high fences blocking off the medical deck. And, or no, not the medical deck. The storage deck, or whatever it was called. And the living quarters deck. The elevator just says, nope, you can't do it. So we go back to the engine deck. And we find a room with some robots who are apparently half broken. Some of them are trying to fix themselves. Some of them are trying to fix the room itself. And we brutally, brutally murder all of them without even talking to them. Because we're the heroes. <laughs> and then we open a door and we find a nine foot tall adamantine cyclops standing on the other side of it just kind of staring at us <laughs> it's fine so is, uh, anything specific either you two want to add for that one before we jump into the next episode with the actual robot fight i mean only that it was pretty crazy to finally see a gearsman obviously listeners of uh, machine learning will know that we as a pod don't try to 
read too much about Numerian lore because we try to avoid spoilers, but pretty much everybody knows that these are the kind of autonomous shock troops of the Black Sovereign, right? Mm -hmm. They, they kind of work for him, but kind of also do their own darn thing. Yeah, they basically just kind of randomly showed up in Starfall one day and through some way or another, the Technic League figured out how to control them. So now the Black Sovereign just uses them as like, like you said, his shock troops. Totally. And I think that like the fact that the Black Sovereign, that they are like the shock troops of Black Sovereign is scary. The fact that the Black Sovereign doesn't totally control them is even scarier. So all of that kind of leads to this very strange fear and irreverence that people have for them that I think Brixby experienced by seeing this first one. Yeah, that, that was kind of our my experiences as the rat man gazed upon the horrifying metal cyclops. I don't know, Kira just saw target practice. She's not as reverent, nor as learned. So it was like, cool, a big robot, let's hit that. And it worked out, it worked out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which uh, then that'll bring us nicely into episode 35, Literally a baby from space. This is my favorite episode title so far. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it is a good one. So it starts off with a quick little Vargas vignette of him waking up Sans an arm and possibly a few other things on a pile of dead bodies. So that's horrible. And then he sees an apparition that may or may not be Gorum and passes out again. And I'm sure everything after that is fine. <laughs> then into the episode proper, we fight a dreaded gearsman and kill it in two rounds. <laughs> so satisfying. Yes. Going from taking about an hour and a half to kill that floating kidnap drone robot to taking down basically that thing's big brother in two rounds is super satisfying. It's so good. And, you know, I think it works narratively. Like, I, obviously, when we've said this a billion times now, but in game it's been, what, four, five days, something like that? Uh, but I like to think of our characters as quick learners. We adapt to each other relatively quickly and are able to say like, hey, stop standing in front of Asher when he needs to shoot something <laughs> and let Brixby do a thing so that all the rest of you can do more impressive things, you know? Mm -hmm. That said, all of us having leveled up and me at least having gotten more experience in the last, gosh, like almost year than I had ever had previously. I was like, yeah, we're so good at smashing stuff usually sometimes. Ah, love it. Yeah, it definitely speaks to the fact that, like, book one showed us that hardness and, and overcoming hardness by any means necessary is, is really crucial for low-level survival. We haven't necessarily experienced that just yet, and I'm really glad that we're fighting, like, a multitude of enemies that are not just robots and constructs and things, but man, did the VCIV get it dialed in right off about how to screw up some constructs i feel like mm -hmm. um yeah the gearsman fight just kind of spoke to the fact that like we have become a well-oiled machine when it comes to specifically that style of combat or that combat with that type of enemy so we managed to take him out surprisingly easy and then something really weird happens where we think at first he's maybe going to get back up. We know from our uh, knowledge checks that they have like a health surge ability. So we're worried we're going to have to fight it again. But then weirdly, its eye changes color and it starts talking to us in common, which before that, every robot we found only speaks Androphin. So this was weird. And it tried to communicate to us. But apparently it couldn't hear what we said back, so it gave up. But the whole thing was just very interesting. It was kind of sad. I mean, I think there's, there's you know, we I, someone rolled for it. Maybe Jeff rolled for Asher to communicate with it, and it didn't work. 
But beyond the like, you know, disappointment of like, hey, we tried this and it didn't work. I was also sort of, it took me from we smashed a robot to we killed a living thing. And I was like, oh man, which we've obviously done that before. But this one tried to talk to us after. Like, Aw, honey. <laughs> so I, for one, would like to find and befriend the robot, even if it secretly ends up being, I don't know, like a Hellion avatar. Eh, maybe not quite that extreme, but an avatar for something else scary. I'm still not sure. Like, when it was happening, I thought maybe it was Hellion. But listening back later, and then just thinking more on what we know about Hellion, it seems like this is something else. Like, Hellion doesn't seem like he would be as polite as this thing was from what we've heard of the guy. Agreed. I would agree. Yeah, I think that, like, Hellion is definitely, this seems to be a separate scrap wall related problem right now i felt like this power relay was sort of his first grasp out i feel like that is one thing we've sort of gotten from ayanda but maybe i'm wrong yeah i think that had something that was more endogenous like the ship and the people that were the culture that was on it that crashed it that was there before maybe it's this is just me thinking after listening to someone playing through dead sons but a like an androphin that digitized themselves or something and they were in like the computer in the ship oh yeah i'm uh yeah no i like the idea that it's op- well i guess not obviously it will come back but i want to i'm manifesting that kira and the whatever it is become best friends and then kira mm-hmm. takes on like godlike powers of her own and uh i don't know also crushes the world because they didn't give her what she wanted like a power box you know as as gods do mm-hmm. twist she's been chaotic evil the whole time <laughs> uh, so after we talked to the strange split personality Garrisman, we looked around the room we saw that it looked as though Mianda had been trying to build something like we found parts but there was no way we could put them together and we also found, of course, another white key card duct taped under a keyboard. <laughs> because, of course, we did. That. And then we decided to go back upstairs and murder a space baby. And some uh, blood pinatas. And unfortunately did not find any cool loot in either of their rooms. So we just killed a sentient being for no reason. I mean, some people in the party had some <laughs> strong feelings about it continuing to be down there. Brixby was pretty neutral yeah. about it, but I believe uh, Asher in particular took some offense to the idea of having a blood-gorging plant yeah. fungus. He did, and he decided it must be destroyed. It was definitely not exactly a friendly... Thing. Well, actually, it was very friendly, but it was dangerous. It really was like calling it a baby is like an interesting thing but it was a baby in the same way like in the synopsis for cloverfield they call the monster a baby and like it destroying new york is it freaking out and running around (laughs) but that's the same kind of thing like this is a baby that drinks blood and can control your mind with psychic powers as babies do (laughs) so i do get that it could be kind of dangerous I, I'm a little sad. Pour one out for plant friend. Yeah. Uh, I, as a player, don't much care for... No, that's not true. I'm I'm open to the idea that plant friend could be interesting. But he did do something to my character, yes. and I still don't know what. And never will, because now it's dead. Someone in our uh, fan Discord, and I apologize for not remembering who off the top of my head mentioned that they played through and they were able to basically tame it and take it with them which i did not realize that was an option and it sounds both amazing but also kind of terrifying because i'm not sure i'd want to sleep with that thing next to me yeah you just have to feed it constantly like a gremlin yeah i don't know Hmm. (laughs) well it's too late now f do people say f or they have to type it Am I aging myself? Do I sound uh, very uncool right now? Let's cut all of this out. <laughs> so yeah, that was what ended book one. And we discovered that book one was called The Fires of Creation. And that book two will be called The Lords of Rust. 
So that took us in to episode 36, Schrodinger's Chicken. We started off with the announcement of the winners of our end of book one sticker contest. And congratulations again to Bellandora and Fuzzy Doug for their wins. I hope you guys both enjoyed your stickers. And then the VC4 head back into town and decide, you know what? That Connor Bain guy is just suspicious. There's just something about him. He seems to recognize some things about the League people shouldn't know. He seems to be a little bit better with technology than people should be. And he might be cheating at cards. There's just something going on about that guy. So uh, we go over to the foundry where Kira politely and levelly knocks his door off its hinges. We had no choice. He might be cheating at cards. And we go in and talk to him and discover that he used to basically be the assistant of the league captain Gartone, the one that Sandville knew, and that he attempted to kill Gartone. He failed, obviously, but he did manage to escape with a Kelled slave, which he then adopted as his daughter, Val. And she had been part of some kind of horrible experiment on Kellid kids because the Technic League is just super evil. And so what did you guys think about the uh, revelation about Connor and his past? Well, I was disappointed to learn that uh, he apparently wasn't cheating at cards. And I do sort of feel like that's what he went there for. So it would have been nice to be able to wrap up that cold case. However... I guess this other stuff was good information to learn, too. And I feel like you sort of called it. Actually, no, not even sort of. You definitely did call it, Jero, like (laughs) within minutes before we broke in there, which was impressive. I think I called him getting Val from the League. I didn't think he was League, but I thought like maybe he used to be. I was thinking like his thing was like that he had been like a slave trader or something other awful like that and like bought her from the League and had a change of heart. I was not expecting him to actually be in the league. Yeah, I wasn't either necessarily, but it also definitely makes sense Mm -hmm. with the fact that the league holds a monopoly on not only technology, but information about it. I mean, it tracks, I guess is what I'm saying. Uh, It is a little disappointing, but it's good to know that it wasn't just old Sandville. Mm -hmm. And it's good to know that like he seemed to honestly regret ever working with like he's not like somebody like yeah i pissed off one of my bosses so i went into hiding and he's not like i'm a spy for the league or anything it's like he's someone who honestly didn't like it so he left yeah i mean i i think that it was definitely an interesting thing probably for vargas to have to contend with Um, we had a whole thing about him not murdering anyone Mm -hmm. exactly (laughs) that Honestly, as he started to, as Sam started to say, like, oh, yeah, I used to work for the league. I'm like, okay, he's going to wait till everybody leaves and he's just going to murder Costner. <laughs> but then he had him say the part about, like, him rescuing the Kellid kids and, like, regretting what he did. And I'm like, ooh, on second thought, this would be a nice place to show character growth. He's not going to kill him. <laughs> And then when Yay. I said he's he stays behind, you guys are all like, oh, he's going to kill him. <laughs> I mean, we love character growth. I thought that was a really great yeah. scene. Like, and it's, it's funny to say out loud character growth is not killing someone. Like, congratulations. <laughs> yeah. But for Vargas, it was a good moment. It was just funny to me, like, that I had that thought and then decided against it. And then... It was, like, such an obvious thing that the rest of you guys all also went, oh, well, Vargas is going to kill It happens, you know? (laughs) To be fair, there were at least a couple times where I, especially on those first, like, episodes 1 through, I don't know, 25, I was fully prepared for Kira to just, like, go off and murder someone. And she didn't, and I'm glad (laughs) she didn't, because I think that would have changed a lot of things. So we we all have moments where we're like, oh, I'm going to murder someone. Uh, JK, you know? Eh, That's just life. (laughs) So we have our talk with Connor. We also discover that he's going to try to build himself a wheelchair out of that repair bot he found. And Brixby then 
we kind of hand wave over the actual process, but Brixby gets permission to use his book to learn a few spells on the uh, cheap, or at least cheaper than it normally is to learn a spell. And after that, we head off to see Father Kite, because we heard that he may have some information for us about Scrapwall. And he tells us, oh, hey, I know this half-elf who lives there who is also a cleric of Bry and who I'm definitely not pining for as my long-lost love. Please uh, give her this binder full of what definitely aren't love poems. And if you do that and come back, I will give you an extremely powerful magical item. Oh, yeah. That rod. Mm -hmm. <laughs> do we think it's worth the price of a binder full of handwritten sonnets, though? I mean, I'm just a little disappointed that up until this point, we haven't heard mm. any of them as recited in the kite voice. I mean, I know Sam is busy with the podcast and like life and all that, but come on. You can get a sonnet or two, right? It's almost Valentine's Day, <laughs> kind of. We need to do is harp on them to record some that we can stick in as the commercials in these machine learnings. <laughs> like a radio show of Kite reading his. <laughs> I like the, I actually oh. prefer the fact that he has a whole radio show like dedicated to reading his own poetry. That's pretty good. I was yeah. thinking it was going to be a commercial for like one of those people you see on the streets offering to write a poem for you for like a dollar, you know? Yeah. But I really, I much prefer the idea that this person bought out radio space to be like, listen to my poems. Yeah. It's the, the Galarian version of farmers only. Um, clerics of Bry only. <laughs> and then the uh, final thing that happened to wrap up the month was the VC4 decided that if we were going to be heading over to the Smiths for dinner, we had to bring some sort of dinner gift. And thanks to uh, Kira knowing the local customs... We decided a live chicken is the perfect gift. So we headed down to Larry the Lizard Folk's Chicken Emporium, where we met my favorite NPC since the introduction of Garrett the Gnome. Larry the Lizard Folk, the very oddly named halfling, who was adopted by other halflings, thus explaining his name, and we bought from him a chicken. Uh, what did you two think of that uh, rather interesting interaction? I would like to start by saying I am so grateful that all of our characters decided to trust Kira, who has consistently rolled under a five on any knowledge local role or any knowledge role period. And be like, yeah, no, people totally bring a live chicken that can be eaten or kept as a pet for, uh, for, for dinner traditions. <laughs> like, that's a thing. I really appreciate your characters are going along with me with that. And also I appreciate you all being like, yes, this makes sense. Let's do it. That that was a, it was a really freeing moment for me personally. And I appreciate it. Does it make sense within the context of the story? I mean, for Kira, yes. Uh, I mean, it was the, the birth of an empire <laughs> that I hope to only see an avian empire. Every town we visit better have a franchise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, we are. We know at least there's the world wound location, although it does not take the stamp card. So, be wary, tourists. <laughs> Is the thing to take under the most advisement to be concerned about when entering in the world wound. <laughs> this franchise location will not take your chicken stamp card. Also, you know, <laughs> be careful in general. That wrapped up this month's episodes. Was there anything else from this batch? Uh, that you two wanted to specifically talk about that you can think of? I think we nailed it. I mean, it was really satisfying to wrap up book one. I think like we had some interesting conversations about how time dilation works with APs, mm -hmm. how this one happened in a very short period of time, and how some books are like more amorphous sandboxy over long periods of time. It was cool to run through this, but I am really looking forward to having like days for character development as opposed to just like waking up and being like i'm stronger now <laughs> and again and again and like pretty much almost every day you know but we leveled up like once a day for most of a week yeah pretty solid <laughs> exactly stuff. which 
must have been completely insane in the like meta social conversations the characters were having outside of things. Yeah. Well, at least yeah. half the party like woke up with one morning with new magical abilities. Just like, hey, yeah. I can do stuff now. <laughs> yeah. So I think that that was kind of like the the thing that really marked it for me. I'm I'm looking forward to the more seeing what book two's like flavors like because obviously this is also very dungeony. So. It'll be interesting from like a practical point of view of having like a gunslinger and being like a ranged touch spell character myself, hopefully being in maybe some more opened up environments, mm-hmm. uh, not getting punched in the face right after opening a door. Yeah. Love that. Love that. Yep. That's that. Those are it for me. <laughs> I really appreciated the, we wrapped up almost exactly a year to the day from when we all first like sat down to not even just start recording, but like to like meet and talk, or at least I I met all of you. Um, I think you all had like a, one of the uh, tryout sessions together, but we met all of us for the first time for like yeah. that toward the end of August, right around when we were finishing book one this year. And that for me personally, because I am an anal retentive person was so satisfying. <laughs> that was actually really cool too basically like you said like finish up on that almost a year exactly from when we started which like you said it wasn't when we technically started the actual thing but it still was a starting it was from our first talk together our first practice session to the end of book one being that like almost exactly a year it was actually a pretty cool thing to see yeah so good thing we stretched out book one you're welcome time All right. Well, we will then see everybody after this message for the Q&A. In a city torn apart by catastrophe, a group of heroes have emerged to fight back against the machinations of a despotic ruler. Corvosa is dying. No. Strike that. Corvosa is being murdered. Killed by our queen. But while many have come to know the cover of night as heroes of the people, champions of good, and just incredibly attractive, have you seen their art? Others have come to see their actions as a threat. As their egalitarian ideals threaten to erode the corrupt foundations of Corvosan society, the monsters emerge from the darkness within. There is a tendency with heroes to not be satisfied with the level of acclaim they are accustomed to. There is a tendency for heroes to act out, take what they think belongs to them. But not all who dwell in darkness seek to hide within the shadows. Join us on To Have and To Roll as we discover unlikely allies. Do any of you know Speak With Dead? I can prepare tomorrow. Well, I guess it's a sleepover then! Oh my! Oh my god! And some who would be happy to see Corvosa crumble. Well, I just figured, if I had power, why not abuse it? The Curse of the Crimson Throne continues in Book 3, Escape from Old Corvosa. Available on tohaveandtoroll.com or wherever podcasts are sold. Wait, who's buying podcasts? Rain? Do people pay money for this? No, I, I have no idea what that means. Just Tell them to follow us on Twitter. Okay. <clears throat> follow us on Twitter at to have and to roll or Tumblr to have and to roll.tumblr.com as we fight for the soul of a city that many believe is already beyond saving.
And welcome back. We are into the Q&A. We went a little long on the recap, but it was a fun recap. It was the end of the book. So we kind of had to go a little long. So we're just going to have a couple of questions. We also have some that we really want to save for when we have more members of the cast on because, you know, you guys ask these questions of all of us and it's kind of unfair of us to not have everybody answer them if we can. So we're just going to do a couple and we are going to start with this question by T. Brandis. We often hear, we should cut this out, but has anything ever actually been cut out? And then as a uh, little jokey second half, they wrote, what Patreon tier do we need to get the full swear and unedited feed? Which, uh, that is the million dollar a month tier. When you do that one, you can hear all of our swearing and talking about uh, aspic and all the other weird stuff that we cut out. So I mean, how, I want to do this in reverse, where the Patreon tier is edited and all the people have to listen to the like four hours of us remembering our characters mechanics in the middle of combat <laughs> yeah oh i like that pay to not have to hear it oh i was gonna say this i mean yeah i i can send all of my unedited stuff right now it's um mostly me looking up rules and typing to myself it's a lot of me dropping dice on the ground when i should be paying attention but i'm playing with my dice instead hours of footage with that actually i told you <laughs> i told you all last last time we recorded we all finished recording and then went to bed or have dinner or whatever. And I came back to my computer an hour later and was still recording <laughs> and just had like me talking to myself and talking to my brother on the phone and all of the trains. So, uh, yeah, that one, I think, is we'll, we'll, we'll save that for the million dollar tier. But the rest you can have for free. <laughs> and as for the uh, actual question, we cut some stuff out, mostly... I know when I edit the machine learnings, I tend to cut out a lot of the pauses and nonverbals. We don't cut as many out of the main episode just because the flow of conversation sounds weird if you cut too much of it out. We cut out occasionally one of us will accidentally swear or something and <laughs> we'll cut that out. As Zach mentioned, we cut out a lot of technical talk of us just talking back and forth, trying to remember what our characters can do and what we need to roll for certain things that's just kind of boring. There's really too much that we cut out that would be anything that I feel like would be that fun to listen to if it wasn't cut out. <laughs> uh, what do you guys think? I think that's what the bloopers are for, for me. Because yeah. like when mm -hmm. I'm editing a, yeah. uh, an episode, it's something that like is either ruined by incidental background noise or something else, but like... It's too golden to get rid of. But I, I really endeavor to keep a lot of stuff in there. The only things I honestly cut out when I'm doing editing are like procedural questions, things that I think that sort of upset the flow of stuff. And like maybe once in a while when stuff goes super off the rails, it goes into the bloopers folder. But like, you know, it doesn't go to never see the light of day again. However, the like who's on first style... I go there. Where? Here. Uh, Roll 20 is being weird right now. Hold on one second. It's like really not. No one needs to hear that. <laughs> and I'll say that Zach and Sam and Jeff and Jero, really everyone is much more discerning than I am when, when it comes to what should go in and out. I will absolutely cut out silences. Like that is, that's one of those mindless things I do usually while watching like Real Housewives, just go through and cut out silences manually because it satisfies me. In terms of like the stuff that I leave in, I really, as a person who is perhaps less familiar with the rules and regulations behind Pathfinder, I find those off the rail moments hilarious and will almost always leave them in unless caveat they make me look bad in which case i will cut them out so basically any episode that's been edited by me will be like 50 percent less kira and just everyone else because i think that's fun fortunately not i'm not the only one editing episodes obviously so you know we get a nice balance in there question two this is a question specifically for izzy though i guess the other two of us can answer if we've ever done it have you bought actual sparkling unicorn stickers yet and if you have why and if you haven't why not uh this is a great question and and as we all know i love being asked about unicorn stickers 
I have done a lot of um, what I like to call wine browsing, which is when I have a glass of wine after work and then scroll through Etsy. I will say I am, as much as I love stickers and sparkles, I don't like cleaning or doing things. And putting stickers on things and then peeling them off when you move out of the apartment is a real real rough situation in New York. So I do a lot of browsing. That said, I did get sent a whole bunch of unicorn stickers by none other than Jeff's wife. And those are amazing. And it's a struggle for me every time I get on the subway not to just slap them on people's foreheads. I'm pretty sure that would count as like some sort of assault, even though it's happiness. Uh, So I, I refrain. But short answer, I do have unicorn stickers purchased for me. I plan on procuring more in the future. It is now part of my life. Have you all ever purchased unicorn stickers? I don't think so. I have gotten, I've been to a lot of conventions. I used to do, uh, before the uh, plague started, I used to do PAX South pretty much every year. I went to the first five years that they had it, missed year six, and then it got canceled year seven. And I've been to a couple other cons too, and people like to give out stickers at those usually like more like kind of bumper sticker type ones or like smaller stickers like you'd stick on the side of a computer or on the back of a laptop type thing advertising like their indie game they made or their company and stuff so i've gotten a lot of that stuff i honestly don't think i've ever purposely gone out and bought stickers and if i do i don't remember it fair yeah, I put them on all my staff's paychecks, and I've definitely bought unicorns in addition to tiny cows and birds, weird cats, fish, all sorts of stickers. <laughs> this is what business is like. Business. That's a tip for all you aspiring business people. We'll cut this out, <laughs> or or not. I don't. I I don't know. Who can say? <laughs> okay, and I think we'll do uh, just one more. Like I said, it's just going to be a little bit of a shorter Q and A this month but we have one here from crazy piano man that uh i think is kind of an interesting one especially with how the last couple years have been with everybody stuck at home what is a trip that you've always wanted to do but haven't done yet one that i have always wanted to do and uh I think that people in the fan discord know this because we talked about it a bit in there is i have always wanted to go to japan i would love to just spend some time in japan once i get the language better down better i've been working on practicing it for about year and a half close to two years now i'm still terrible at it i could basically like order in a restaurant and ask directions and that's it which is not great to show after two years of practice but yeah it's something i've always wanted to do and the reason i'd like to know the language i would specifically like to go not to like tokyo but to like a more rural area just somewhere maybe further up north and just kind of see the more kind of naturey and a lot of the old history stuff i got the pleasure of going for three four years ago four years ago I deeply enjoyed it. Again, highly recommend going with someone who has apprehension of the language. For listeners, that's not me. That is my partner's brother. Their their family is is from Beppu. Um, But we got the pleasure of visiting northern Japan, in particular, Hokkaido, Sapporo, specifically. It was really pretty. I recommend it so highly. Best produce I've had anywhere. I want to go to specifically hike the King's Trail between Norway and Sweden. So that's that's been a big one for me. My partner generally likes hot environments though, so it's unlikely that we will be doing that anytime soon. You could do the, uh, what's that one called that like goes through Pakistan and India? The hippie trail. What about you, Izzy? I don't have a particular trip planned, but I love trains. <laughs> I love the idea of road trips, but I tend to be pretty 
I get in my own head. And so when you have the the road trip, the idea of like traveling and just being able to stare at the window without feeling bad that you're not talking to someone or the driver keeping them awake and also not having to drive yourself, that for me boils down to a train ride. I could do a train honestly pretty much anywhere with the exception of the commute that I have in the morning. NYC subways do not count as trains. Those are gross and terrible and awful. But um, <laughs> I want to do one of those like picturesque, vaguely Norwegian <laughs> trains. Uh, I actually had planned a trip for myself last year. And then again this year, both of which are obviously canceled because, you know, pandemic. Um, but I, my dream is taking a single ridiculously expensive notebook and sitting on the train and looking wistfully out the window and writing not tragic poetry because I really don't like poetry, but something vaguely mysterious. Love solo trips, love trains, those two things together. Ideal. There is a train that goes to between New York and Philly. Yeah. But I think that's more of like a commuter train than like nice trip train. Yeah. I... My favorite train trip I've ever taken in the States would have been from Oakland to Portland. Wow, that's a long one. It's, it's, it's so funny. If you ever do it, I went on the Amtrak line. I forget what it's called. Um, I went just a couple days after my birthday. Uh, so this was like in the winter. And they tell you, I had looked up reviews before and they're like, hey, just so you know, this this it's not uncommon for this to take a long time for to, to run a little late, which in terms of cars and planes, a little late is like half an hour. This, uh, I think it was supposed to be like six, eight maybe 10 hours and it took 18 Ooh. but I had booked because it was my birthday I booked myself one of those sleeper cars and it was honestly the best vacation I've ever taken I just we went nice. through the mountains I saw the snow at some point there was some sort of train issue <laughs> where we just got stopped for three hours but I was like I have my own room this is fantastic it, <laughs> I loved it I cannot say enough if you are also a solo traveler do a train trip somewhere it's amazing so, yeah, that's going to do it for this month of machine learning. Again, uh, those who are in our Discord, well, first off, those who aren't in our Discord, join our Discord. It's fun. Uh, you can Discord. chat with us in the ch in the rest of the cast. You can chat with the other fans of the show. We got all kinds of different channels to talk about all kinds of different things. And you can ask us questions like these fine questions that we just got today. And for those who are in the Discord, please feel free to keep asking questions. We're always looking for more stuff to answer every month. And thank you all for your support. And again, congratulations to our sticker winners. And we hope to eventually maybe have those available for other people as well, once we can collectively figure out how the internet works. And we will see everybody next month. Until then, I'm going to bed. <laughs> night, Jarrell. Good night, Jarrell. <laughs> <laughs>